My name is Brian Kinsey, and I'm the pastor of First Pentecostal Church in Pensacola. I'm delighted that you're listening to this message, and I hope it blesses your life. If you'd like to submit a prayer request, or if you're interested in a personal Bible study, you can call us at 850-477-1100, or send us an email at firstpent at firstpent.org. We hope you enjoy this. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. My, don't we feel the goodness of the Lord here now. You came to worship the Lord. How about we give God another hand? Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Nothing like Sunday night in a Pentecostal church and worshiping God together. And I believe he's right here with us and uh, we had a great move of the Holy Ghost this morning and uh, I know all of you are gathered here tonight just believing God for another touch another word and to help you in your lives my wife and I are so privileged to be back with you and uh, just so grateful to stand here tonight we honor your great and dear pastor brother and sister Kenzie and all of our friends, Miss Brother Strobel this weekend as well, and uh, Sister Dana and all the good ministries that are here. We honor all of you, and uh, we miss our friends at Stafford's and asking God to go with them. And uh, let's just let the Lord have his way tonight. I recognize that you're standing, and so I'll do my best to go to the word of the Lord in Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5 you'd like to turn with us while you're standing. Uh, the Lord's going to do great things for someone tonight, for many people. We're praying that many receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, that lives are touched, and that people move closer to God. In His presence, there's fullness of joy. And at His right hand, there's pleasures forevermore. Scripture says we sit together in heavenly places, and I believe this is one of those moments we're right here together in God's presence. And you say amen. amen. We are looking at Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. And Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords. And he drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives, his concubines might drink therein. And then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem, and the king and his princes and his wives and concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver and of brass, of iron, wood, and stone. And in the selfsame hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote, and the king's countenance was changed. His thoughts were troubled in him, so that the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against another. Father, bless your people. 
Arrest our attention, God, and let our minds focus on your word and your will. Touch our hearts and help us to draw closer to you in this moment. And everyone say, in Jesus' name. God bless you. Please be seated. Thank you for standing to honor the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. Don't leave me now. <laughs> Praise God. Thank God for this great worship team and musicians. Didn't they do a fabulous job tonight? <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. I felt a strong confirmation to the word of the Lord tonight. As a matter of fact, dear brother came and walked up to me and just spoke these words in my ear, and what a confirmation. I want to preach to you tonight uh, from the scriptures, from the subject, when God gets a hold of you, when God gets a hold of you. Hallelujah. Praise God. Belshazzar is our text tonight, Daniel chapter 5, but before I mention Daniel 5, I want to say that my wife's great uncle, Brother Hardy Drawdy, just an old-time Pentecostal preacher, a great man of God, has gone on to his reward, but told us of an instance when he was pastoring over in Brady, Texas, and he was the pastor of the church and, of course, filled with the Holy Ghost and doing his best to serve God righteous man, a godly man, and he said, I was just in a dry season, asking God to give our church revival and asking God to give me revival. And he said, in that house that we had in Texas, it was a two-story house, and I would go it into the second floor to one of the spare bedrooms, and I would pray there on the floor. And he said, I knelt over. And I prayed on my knees, just bending over, and I was saying, God, move me and help me and shake me. God, get a hold of me. Stir me and give us revival. And he said, I'll never forget. Just as I was about to lean up, I didn't realize that a relative has, was downstairs cleaning his shotgun. And evidently, an accidental shot went off and went through the ceiling next to the ceiling fan. He said, as I lifted up my hands to give God praise and I straightened up, I felt the wind from that shot, 12-gauge shotgun. He said, I had struggled to get in the Spirit, but immediately I was in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Hallelujah. And he said, that was my regular prayer place. And he said, from then on, every time I knelt down to pray, it didn't take any pumping. It didn't take any priming. Because when you pray for God to get a hold of you, he sure enough will. When you pray for God to shake you, he sure enough will find a way. He wasn't mortally wounded, but he was shaken up. And my, doesn't God know how to shake us up. He can rattle my cage when he wants to. He can, he can stir my spirit. And that's what I'm preaching tonight. When God gets a hold of you. And he gets a hold of all of us. And this is not singling anyone out. And as a matter of fact, it's not a message of condemnation. But 
If God's got a hold of your heart, you're in a very, very pivotal place in your life. And God can work with you and God can touch you. Belshazzar was the king, but he, like his father, got lifted up in pride and began to say things like, this is my kingdom and I have built this great king kingdom. And he got used to that, uh, that royal circumstance around him, always honoring him. And finally, one day, he had a particular party, and this must have been quite a shindig. The great host, the banquet, a thousand of his lords, all of his main people were here. And he thought, here's a moment where I can really display my power. Go and get the vessels from the house of God that we had taken from Jerusalem. And let us just prove again that we're more powerful than any nation's God. But... He didn't realize or he had forgotten that this was not a God of wood and stone, of brass or of iron, but this was a God who was alive. And he is a very jealous God. And he crossed a line that day. The Bible says, supernaturally, the image of a hand came out of nowhere. And a finger began to write in the plaster on the wall near the candlestick. And the king who had arrogantly proclaimed that I'm above all the gods of other nations, who stood direct with pride and arrogance, immediately recognized that there's something supernatural going on. He could not read the text in that ancient language, but he knew that there was something going on that was out of his control. And the Bible said the man that had such dignified posture began to slump in despair. His spirit was troubled immediately. And the Bible said even his knees began to smite one against another. This man became limp because he knew that something supernatural had happened. God had finally gotten his attention. When no one else could get his attention, even Daniel, even the righteous ones couldn't reason with him when God gets a hold of you, brother, he means business. And I'm preaching tonight when God gets a hold of you. When God gets a hold of you. We know that there were at least three times in the scriptures where God wrote with his finger. We know that in the tables of stone he wrote. He engraved the Ten Commandments. We know here in Daniel chapter 5, that he wrote on the wall of the plaster of the king's palace. And in the New Testament, Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground, right in the presence of those who were condemning the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. We don't know exactly the, the letters that he wrote, but when he stood up, all the people had gone on. The words, let he that is without sin cast the first stone caused that crowd to dissipate. And he said, woman, where are thine accusers? And of course, we know through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, God wrote the holy text by some 30-something writers throughout history over 1,600 years. 
But the Bible says that he's not finished writing. According to 2 Corinthians 3 and 3, hallelujah, for as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistles of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. God is still writing on our hearts tonight. God is still speaking to our souls tonight. Hallelujah. Thank God it's not like the message to Belshazzar of condemnation, but he's speaking life and liberty and hope to us who are called by his name. Somebody say praise God. And so we're here tonight giving God thanks that he's still writing on our hearts. The Bible speaks of a man by the name of Saul who was a terrible person before his conversion. He was a persecutor of all Christians, a murderer. According to Acts chapter 9 and 1, Saul breathed out threatenings and slaughter for the Christians. Every breath he took was an attempt to kill and to destroy and to imprison those followers of Christ. After he persecuted the church heavily in Jerusalem and consented to the death of Stephen, the Christians fled from the city and scattered abroad through all the regions of Judea and Samaria. Damascus now had believers who needed to be rooted out. Saul, after securing letters from the high priest, makes his personal mission to destroy those people who have fled to Damascus. With a vengeance, he set off for Damascus with only one thing on his mind, to kill or to imprison anyone who followed Christ. With hatred in his eyes, his reputation preceding him, he makes his way hastily to Damascus. And those faithful Christians find out that Saul, the persecutor of the church, has secured legal documents to come and to destroy us, and they begin to pray and to intercede. God, help us and keep us from this evil person by the name of Saul. And when they began to pray, God began to work. And according to Acts chapter 9, as he journeyed and came near Damascus, uh, you remember what happened. Suddenly, uh, a light shined around him from heaven, uh, and there he fell to the earth, and he plummeted to the ground, uh, and he heard the voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus. <laughs> what a revelation. I am Jesus, <laughs> whom thou persecutest. Why is it hard for thee to kick against the pricks? And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said, Arise and go to a city, and it shall be told what you shall do. I'm preaching about Saul, Saul of Tarsus, the evil persecutor of the church, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was well-educated and acquainted with the customs of the land, but he was absolutely sold out to the mission of destroying any person of the name of Jesus Christ. But on the road to Damascus, that all changed. When God got a hold of him, it took some supernatural event, a light shining from heaven. And the Bible said that he was now blinded. 
and they led him by the hand. This man who was so dangerous, this man who was so hostile could be led by the hand of Christians now. And he said, Lord, what would you have me to do? That's a change of attitude, folks. I mean, that's 180 degrees. That's not just a better attitude. That's a man who is breathing out threatenings and slaughterings. He had a change of heart because a supernatural experience. God got a hold of him is what I'm saying. And when God got a hold of him, he's now as meek as a lamb saying, God, what else can I do? What do you want me to do? And, and the Bible says a man of God by the name of Ananias heard from God. And God spoke to this man and said, I want you to go and talk to Saul. And you remember Ananias said, well, Lord, I like preaching and I like doing your will. But, you know, I've heard some bad things about Saul. He said, I want you to go. And Saul comes, and he talks to, uh, Ananias comes to Saul, and he says, Brother Saul, I've seen from the Lord, and he wants me to pray for you that you might receive your sight and that you might be filled with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Thank God for a man of God who tell you God wants to heal you, but God wants to fill you with the Holy Ghost. And that was the message Ananias brought to Saul of Tarsus. God's going to heal you and God's going to fill you with the Holy Ghost and immediately the scales fall off of his eyes and after three days he receives his sight again and he was baptized straightway I'm preaching that God can get a hold of you. Even as even if you're as bad and as tough as Saul of Tarsus, even if you're a murderer, even if you've killed people, I want to tell you when God gets a hold of you, everything changes. When God gets a hold of you, everything changes. And you know that Saul became Paul of the New Testament, uh, the, the apostle to the Gentiles, and wrote most of the New Testament. Uh, when God gets a hold of you, everything changes. I thought about it. So many, in the, so many people in the Bible stiffened themselves against the will of God. Some converted, and others were destroyed. I thought about Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God began to try to reason with him, but the Scripture said it took ten plagues. God started with some mild circumstances, just putting pressure on old Pharaoh. And every time Moses came and said, let my people go, Pharaoh stiffened his neck and said, I will not let those people go. I know it's bad, but we've seen worse than this. And so you remember all of those dreadful plagues and the frogs and the boils and the lice and the blood and so on. But finally, there was something that got a hold of Pharaoh's heart. And the Bible says, in the darkness of the night, the death angel swept through the camp. And every household that was not covered by the blood experienced the greatest loss imaginable when the firstborn of every family was immediately stricken when God gets a hold of you. Even the toughest, even the hardened, most hardened people, God can get their attention. 
And the Bible says of Herod in the New Testament, On a particular day there was a voice from the crowd that rose up and said, This man is great, and honor belongs to him. It's not the voice of a man, it's a voice of a God. And the people praised Herod that day, and he did not rebuke them for it, but he received praise as if he were a God. And the Bible says immediately... The worms devoured him, and he died instantly because he received praise that was only due unto God. When God gets a hold of you, he's got a way of ringing your bell. He's got a way of rattling your cage. Jonah, what's it going to take? I'm going to have to be placed in a prison in the belly of a fish, down to the depths of hell, it said, and even experiencing the darkness for three days and being spit up on the bank. Finally, he's willing to do what God says. God can get your attention. Oh, hallelujah. I thought about the man in the Old Testament, the husband of Abigail. His name was Nabal. And David tried to reason with this man and said, Nabal, I've been a friend to you. I've been your neighbor. I've helped you every chance I could. I'm asking you to feed my men just for a little while. You've got a lot of provisions. You've got a great farm. But he said, I just need your help. And Nabal hardened his heart and said, David, I do not know. And why would I give my substance to a stranger? And the Bible says he was a fool. Plainly, he was a fool. But Abigail had a tender heart, and she was wise, and she went and helped David. And God spared her for that. But the Bible says just a few days later, Nabal refused to submit to God and do the will of God, and God hardened his heart, and it became as a stone, and he died because his heart turned to stone. One way or another, through conversion or destruction, God can get a hold of anybody he needs to talk to. I'm preaching tonight when God gets a hold of you. When God gets a hold of you. And it's not always in a negative aspect. I thought about Peter walking on the water. He began to sink in despair. But Jesus reaches out his hand and he picks him up. I want to tell you, when God gets a hold of you, it's not always for destruction. But most of the time, it's for deliverance. He's trying to pull you up out of the mire and the clay. He's trying to deliver you from despair. He's trying to pick you up from sickness and from heartache. Oh, how Hallelujah. When God gets a hold of you, everything changes. I got a feeling on Sunday night, God's got somebody's attention. I got a feeling on this Sunday evening, God's trying to talk to somebody. I don't know if it's going to take the finger of a man's hand writing on the wall. Mini, Mini, TKL, Farsian. Thou hast been weighed in the balance and found wanting, Belshazzar, and your kingdom has been taken from you and divided between the Medes and the Persians. I don't know what it's going to take, but I will say this. One way or another, God knows how to get our attention. Praise God. 
There's a spirit of apathy in our world. There's a spirit of apathy in this culture. And according to Webster's, it's a feeling of not having much emotion or interest. An apathetic person is a cynical person, a person who simply does not care. Sometimes you try to witness to people, but, you know, it just seems like it's falling on deaf ears. We live in an apathetic world. You might be able to convince somebody to be saved if they, if they only cared enough about themselves or about eternity. But tonight we're coming against the spirit of apathy. We're putting a spirit of urgency in your heart tonight. Don't be so blinded. Don't be so numb to God's presence. Oh, hallelujah. I'm preaching tonight when God gets a hold of you. Psalm 39 and 10 says it like this. Remove thy stroke away from me, O God, for I am consumed by every blow of thine hand. Psalm 39 and 10. He said, I am consumed by every blow of thine hand. I want to tell you, God packs a pretty, pretty good punch. Some of you young men might, might have been hitting by some pretty big boys with their fist in times past. You know what that feels. And the psalmist said, God, remove thy blow from me because uh, I am consumed by the continual blows of thine hand. Somebody said it like this more appropriately. Don't ever get in a boxing match with God because your arms are too short. Oh, hallelujah. And that's what the psalmist is saying in Psalm 39 and 10. If you're going to pick a fight with somebody, don't pick a fight with God. Praise God. Hallelujah. When God gets a hold of you, can you say amen? amen. When God gets a hold of you, he's got your attention. You might have been distracted, but when God gets a hold of you, he's got your attention. Praise God. When God gets a hold of you. I'd like to explain again to someone what it means to be under conviction. This is a term you used to hear a lot about, but not much discussion on the subject anymore. But tonight, there's some people here who are under conviction. The heavy hand of God is upon you, and you know you've got to make a decision to serve God. The prophet said, how long will you be halt between two opinions? If Baal be God, serve him. But if the Lord be God, choose him. Somebody tonight is under conviction. You have not been able to sleep very well. You don't enjoy eating all the time. You're at a place when God really has your attention. God has led someone here tonight, and you really did not understand why. Your heart is touched, and I want to tell you, God's got your attention. He has a way of doing that. I remember as a 15-year-old boy when I began to feel that conviction from the Lord. People had tried to explain to me about receiving the Holy Ghost and being baptized. And particularly, I remember people trying to teach me 
the simple principles of Scripture. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. I had never been to a Pentecostal church. I had only grown up in just uh, a very, very uh, distant connections to denominational churches that did not know about the oneness of God. And I remember being confused on that subject, but pastor began to try to talk to me. My parents tried to show me the scriptures. I just didn't have a, a firm understanding about it. But I remember one night, God began to deal with me, and I began to think, I've got I've to find some resolve in this matter. And I stayed up all night, and all I had was one track that I had picked up in the front lobby of our church. And all these years later, I still remember, I believe it said, 66 reasons why there's only one God. And I remember all night I labored and looked up every scripture and put them in my heart. And before that morning, the next morning, I remember God has spoken to me so strongly and expressly that I never questioned that again because when God got a hold of me, I found out for myself. When God got a hold of me, there was nothing to delay me any longer. I had to have a resolve over that issue. And never, ever again did I question the fact that Jesus Christ was God Almighty. He was robed in the flesh. He came from glory. Great is the mystery of godliness, for God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. And Colossians 2 and 10, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him which is the head of all principalities and powers. Oh, hallelujah. Are you thankful this is a one God church? I remember not too much longer, I began to hear about godliness and righteous living. I began to hear a few scriptures about it. Not growing up in the church, it was all foreign to me. I didn't yet have uh, a wardrobe of an apostolic preacher, you know, just a teenage boy uh, spending the summers riding four-wheelers and swimming in the creek, you know, just a casual attire at best. But I remember hearing about living for God and the principles of godly living and holiness. And I had a few pieces here and there. Pastor reasoned with me about it. My parents tried to tell me about it. I'd like to tell you that's when I got it. But... I got it when God got a hold of me. It was one afternoon on a school day. I believe I was in a sixth-hour classroom, daydreaming, probably not paying attention to the teacher. And all of these scriptures began to start connecting. And the reality and the Spirit of God moved on my heart. Not a bad person, never lived a life out in the world yet, just a young teenage boy. Still needed to be forgiven, but you understand what I'm saying. But God spoke to me, 
and the principles of holiness that day. I, I love how God works. That was the longest afternoon of my life because I didn't feel like I was appropriately dressed. I didn't feel like I was where I needed to be with God. And when God gripped my heart, I spent the entire evening unable to change my circumstance but dealing with the heaviness of God's hand upon me. And brother, when God gets a hold of you, you will never, ever forget it. <laughs> the pastor tried to talk to me about it. Mother and dad discussed it with me. Hallelujah. I'd heard a Bible study and a Sunday school lesson. But brother, all the dots connected when God got a hold of me. And I want to tell you, since that day, I've lived trying to pursue the principles of godliness and holiness. Oh, no, not perfect, but every day I'm striving. I'm asking God to help me. And, old friend, I want to tell you, watch out, because when God gets a hold of you, it's not going to take another discussion. It's not going to take an argument. It's not going to take another Bible study. But when God grabs a hold of your heart, he'll never let you go. You'll understand it by and by. I'm preaching. When God gets a hold of you, everything changes. Belshazzar, you might speak against it, but when that supernatural hand writes on the wall or he writes on your heart, you'll never forget it. You'll never forget it. Not too long ago, I heard our general superintendent, Brother Bernard, tell about the man in one of the hostile nations of the world. His mother got converted, and she kept witnessing to him. She decided to move to another country, but due to legal documents, he was not able to go to that country. But he desperately tried over the next few years to leave the country he was in and get to where his mother was. Finally, through desperate attempts, he made it. A long story. But he said, I did not believe in God. And she had now been converted and was part of a Pentecostal church. She wrote letters. She discussed it with him. She taught Bible studies, but he was an atheist and did not believe in God. But one particular day, she said, I'm your mother. And she said, I'm only asking one thing of you, that you will one time go to church with me. He said, I love your mother. I don't believe in God, but I'm willing to go to church one time. He said, in my pocket, I wrote 50 questions to ask the pastor when I got there, knowing that I would be able to prove to him that there was no God. He said, when I got in that sanctuary, they began to sing and worship God. I felt the glory of God all over me. I began to tremble. I began to weep. Brother Bernard went on to tell that after service, that young man who had 50 reasons why there was no God written down in his, in his pocket took that paper out and tore it up because the pastor did not have to answer one question on that list because when he felt God's presence, when God got a hold of him, 
all arguments dissipate. When God touched his heart, there was no reason to answer those questions. I'm preaching this Sunday night that God's got a hold of you and everything's going to change. God's got a hold of you. You might be as smart as a great attorney, but when God gets a hold of you, you'll weep in his presence. You may have more college degrees. Oh, friend, but when God gets a hold of you and your heart becomes under conviction, you'll say like Saul of Tarsus, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm a Pharisee of all Pharisees, but God, what do you want from me? When God gets a hold of you, it makes all the difference in the world. Hallelujah. Praise God. When I started serving God, I was on fire for God. Try to stay that way. But I remember teaching Bible studies before I was called to the ministry. I loved to teach Bible studies. and Every morning I would go to a particular convenience store near my house, just a country store out in our community. And there was a particular lady that owned that store, and she ran that store by herself. No help hardly at all, just a few clerks. But every morning she got there at like 5 a.m., and she was always there when I walked in the door. Every morning. And every day I would say, how are you today? And she was not a friendly person. Life had been difficult. She had terrible back pains, and she had to run that store by herself. Bitterness had set in. And many times she would say, not too good. But every day I would say, how are you today? I began to witness to her and tried to teach her Bible studies. Finally, one day I said, how are you? She said, not too good. I said, well, I'm sorry to hear that. I'll be praying for you. She said, I wish you would. I told my brother at work that day, I said, I've been talking to the lady at the store. He said, be careful. He said, several times people have robbed her gas pumps. And she keeps a 45 behind the counter. A large pistol. And she did. The next day, I said, how are you this morning? She said, not too good. I said, I'm going to pray for you. And she said, please do. My back is really hurting today. She thought I was going to pray in my prayer closet at home. But I reached across the counter, laid my hand on her head, and I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, be healed and delivered in the name of the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. Her eyes opened wide. She was amazed. There were eight or ten patrons of the store standing around, but she knew in an instant God had touched her body. Hallelujah. That's right. Praise God. From then on, every time I would go in the store, she would say, would you pray for me? Sometimes I said, yes, ma'am, I will. She said, no, I want you to pray now. I said, you need to come to church with me. Oh, I don't go to church. You need to come to church. I don't go to church. Every day, I don't go to church. 
One day I was discussing it with my pastor, and he said, you would be surprised, but over 30 years ago, she and her husband were a part of our church, and I baptized them in Jesus' name. They fell away from God, bitterness of life, pain and heartache, who knows what. But once I found out that, I just put the pedal to the metal, you know. <laughs> Hallelujah. I didn't get to go by there for several days. And my brother said, I went by the store this morning. And the owner of the store has asked if you will come and pray for her. She now calls you her angel. I said, well, I'm no angel, but praise God. Thank God for a witness. And it was not long. God had healed her back, but many other medical problems. She was no longer able to come to work. Several weeks passed. She sent me word, please come and pray for me. Please come and pray for me. She lived in a house behind the store. And one morning I got a call from a woman who was desperate. Tears flowing, I could tell. She said, I need you to come to my house. I said, well, yes, ma'am. As soon as I get off work this afternoon, I will be there. She said, no, you don't understand. I need you to come now. And I walked in her house. She lived alone. She sat in the recliner. With tears streaming down her face, she said, last night I had a vision. And in this vision, I saw myself falling, falling into the great gulf, to the pits of hell. And the flames were leaping up all around me. And she wept bitterly. And she said, I saw an image of a hand reach way down and scoop me up and save me from the pits of hell. And I don't know about you, but it reminds me of the same hand of condemnation that wrote on the wall to Belshazzar. It can be a hand of condemnation, or it can be a hand of deliverance. And she said, I need you to pray for me that I receive the Holy Ghost. Not at church, no altar workers, no choir, no music, no prayer meeting. I laid my hand on her head, and with tears, weeping and sobbing, she began to pray and speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. Uh, hallelujah. Friend, when God gets a hold of you, everything changes. Uh, it might take a vision. It might take a hand writing on the wall. Uh, it might take a death of a family member. But I want to tell you this, God knows how to get your attention. I want you to get the picture tonight. I witnessed to this woman for years. I tried to teach her Bible studies. I tried to argue with her. I tried to debate the scriptures, but none of that worked. Only when God gripped her heart did she become pliable. And the scripture said in the Old Testament, thou art the potter and we are the clay. And when your heart gets pliable in the hand of the potter, God can work with you. When tears flow down your cheeks, when your 
heart is melted in the presence of God. Oh, hallelujah. When God gets a hold of you, brother, everything changes. No matter how bad of an attitude you've got, God can shake you up. Come on now. No matter how smart and argumentative you have been, when God gets a hold of you, it's not going to take an argument. It's not going to take a debate. It's not going to take another Bible study, but you're going to be cast down to the ground saying, Lord Jesus, what else do you want me to do? Come on now. God's got a hold of somebody tonight. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, you're just kicking against the pricks. Uh, you better not leave this house. Uh, you're not going to sleep tonight. Uh, you better find yourself in the presence uh, of the Almighty uh, and say, God, you've got my attention now. Daniel went on to tell Belshazzar. He said, Belshazzar, your own father Nebuchadnezzar was lifted up in pride. And God smote him to the ground for seven years. And he had to live in the pasture like the animals and eat the grass. God did all of that. And yet you still, knowing all that, have made the same mistake. And Daniel said, even though you knew all of that, oh God, I'm preaching to somebody that knows the gospel. I'm preaching to somebody that believes there's one God. You, do, you, do, you contend for the faith out in the world against non-believers, but oh, tonight God's got a hold of you. Oh, hallelujah. I wish somebody would lift your hands and lift your voice. Maybe the worship team would help me tonight. I, come on, God's got a whole. I need mama to intercede right now. I need daddy to call on God. We need a voice from heaven. Come on, we need a signs and wonders and miracles. We need God to talk to somebody tonight. Come on, I'm preaching when God gets a hold of you, he's going to shake some things loose. Come on, God's got a hold of somebody Come on, the devil cannot hold you in that pew. Somebody's about to break loose from the chains of bondage right now. Come on, somebody is about to overcome every obstacle. Come on now, you're feeling the conviction of God. You're feeling the power of the Almighty. Something's shaking. Something's breaking right now when God gets a hold of you. Oh, God, right now. Come on, take somebody by the hand that you came with. Somebody in your family. Say, God's got a hold of me right now. I can't afford to leave. I can't afford to wait till this afternoon. But I have to have the Holy Ghost right now, lest I perish. I have to receive God's presence right now. Come on. Come on, that's it, y'all. Whatever you feel in the name of the Lord. We hope you enjoyed this message. 
Please reach out to us if you have any questions. We can be found at firstpent.org. That's F-I-R-S-T-P-E-N-T dot org. If you're ever in Pensacola, Florida, we hope you visit us. Be blessed in Jesus' name.